um, I pray for us that we'll be caught up in a loving and pursuing relationship with Jesus Christ, that it will be always growing and always getting deeper and always a greater uh, love and always a greater desire for Jesus Christ. Uh, but, uh, well, let me say before I say that, and the best way to do that, of course, we all know, we've all, if you've grown up in church at all, you know that uh, the best way to be in relationship with God is to be in communication with Him, right, which means that we're in His Word, that we're sensitive to the leading of His Holy Spirit, and that we're communicating with Him, back with Him through prayer, uh, and telling Him, you know, what we need, and asking for Him that in the things of the Scripture He told us to ask for, uh, but I know also for most of us, a deep and consistent prayer life has been very difficult to achieve, you know. Um, how many of you, in fact, let me just ask for a show of hands, how many of you have found, no matter if you walk with the Lord for a month or for 60 years, that maintaining a deep and sustained prayer life with God has been a difficult thing? Yeah, I, I don't know if there are any exceptions, but it's a difficult thing, and, and it's a difficult thing for us because of our sin nature. It's a very difficult thing for us to maintain a relationship with the Lord, um, and so I know that, and you know that, uh, and the question is, of course, what do we do about that? So let's take some time and pray. Let's just ask the Lord to open up our minds and our hearts to what He has to say uh, in His Scripture about this subject. Would you join me? I'm going to pray, but you pray also there for yourself as we uh, come to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, as we've all confessed this morning, um, Lord, we know the greatest thing we can do to be in relationship with you is to commune with you through prayer, a deep and, and sustained prayer life, Lord, to be the greatest thing for us. But Father, we confess we're, we're weak. Uh, we don't do it. There's oftentimes, Lord, that we don't even desire to, to, uh, to be in prayer with you or to be in your word or to listen to the promptings of your Holy Spirit. We desire other things, and we put other things in priority over you. And so, Father, we just, as your people, we confess to you this morning uh, our weakness. Father, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit this morning, that you would teach us from your word, that you would show us, Lord God, what you ask us to do in prayer. And, uh, and Father, I pray that we would all uh, come to a place, uh, Lord, today, that we have a greater desire for you, a greater desire to be in relationship with you and communing with you through prayer. We ask this in the great name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to start with just a very couple of short things. There's maybe some reasons we don't pray, and then the whole bulk of the sermon will be maybe on something else. Um, let me say, first of all, um, I've, I listen a lot to Matt Chandler, and one of the reasons is it's good for me. You know what I mean? You and I should be doing things that are good for our spiritual walk, and it's good for me to uh, listen to Matt Chandler. I listen to other folks, too. Uh, but uh, the, the reason I mentioned this about the sermon today, he, I heard this, him preach basically a very similar sermon to this that I've just kind of changed just a little bit because it, it very much inspired me in my prayer life, and I want to pass that along to you. I pray that it inspires you also to a deeper prayer life. So uh, let me give Matt props this morning. All right, there you go. That's kind of how he talks. I don't know if you listen to it, but that's kind of Matt Chandler. Okay, there you go. All right, <coughs> you can podcast him if you're not. Um, uh, you know, the, some, some of us don't pray because... Um, there are parts in our lives that we've chosen not to give over to Jesus Christ. And just quite frankly, we're just feeling too guilty to go to him in prayer. Some of us have, have chosen that, yeah, I'm going to give this part of my life, but this part of my life, I'm not going to walk in obedience to, and so I'm not going to give this over to the Lord. Uh, let me guess, you're not praying very much. I, I mean, they just go hand in hand. So let me just uh, be really ferocious about this. Um, that's the reason that we don't pray sometimes. That's the reason that some of us aren't in prayer right now today, is that they're just part of our lives we're not going to give over to Him, and so we're not comfortable in relationship with Him. 
True? Painful. Have I stepped on anyone's toes yet? I'm sorry, not really. Uh, you need to get over this. You need to surrender this also to the Lord and amongst other places, other, th- other things in your life so that you can be in relationship with him. This is important stuff, right? It's more important than whatever else you think you've got going. The other thing, though, is, uh, wow, is he really going to be like this today? I, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. The other thing is, is that for some of the others of us, we're so caught up in guilt over something that happened way back in the past that we don't feel like we're as... Uh, as um, uh, enabled or, 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 or that God wants to spend time with us because we really have blown it in our past and we don't feel like we can approach God this morning. Can I tell you, if that's you this morning, you have completely must, misunderstood your own faith, right? You've completely misunderstood it. You never, and I never, deserve to be in the presence of God. There was no time in our lives that we, you and I had mustered enough of a good life together that we could approach the throne of God and say, oh, look, finally, I've outweighed the good side of the scale over the bad side of the scale, and now I deserve your mercy, and I deserve to be heard in your court. No, no, no. It was never like that. You and I, we were all guilty. We had all wandered away. We, never, we didn't seek after God. We, had all, we were all lost in our own sin. We didn't give God the, the authority and the respect, if you will, that he deserved, and we all have been in that place. But he saved us by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he says, now I will, I love the way, I can't remember where I was reading this morning, but he says, I will put your sin behind my back. I love that. He said, I will, I will take your sin, I will remove it from you. That's, that's a theological word called expiation, where our sin has been removed from us through the, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he says, now I have made you worthy to approach me and to be adopted into my family as my son or my daughter. Yeah, isn't that great? None of us is worthy. But we've all been made worthy by the adoption of sons and daughters into God's family to approach our Father in prayer. Right? I promise I'm going to get to some scripture here in just a moment, but I, I wanted to set the ground with those things. You may be living a lifestyle where, here you go, uh, Timothy, call, Tim, Timothy Keller calls this a Stepford God, where you've decided what you're going to obey in the scriptures and what you're not, and you've made a, script, uh, a, a Stepford God out of God, and uh, really, quite frankly, that relationship is dead and it's not going anywhere. Or you may be in the place where you're so wrecked by guilt because of something in your past uh, that you don't feel like you can approach God. Well, you misunderstand the Scriptures. The Scripture says this, is that no matter what you've done, the grace and the mercy of God is greater. Amen? It's true. His grace and His mercy is greater. And the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient for you and, and to cover you with grace and to cover anything that you've done in your past, that you may approach God, even with this, it says in Hebrews, with confidence. Wow. That's quite a sacrifice, isn't it? That's, that's amazing power to cleanse me from a lifestyle, a, a, a lifelong sin against God and to be able to approach the throne of God with confidence. Amazing. Incredible. What an amazing work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen. All right. For the rest of us, we don't pray as we should very often. And it's generally, it's not because we don't know how right? We've all learned, you know, many of us grew up as good Baptist kids, you know, and we learned how to pray. We learned, you know, about the five things in prayer that Jesus taught in the model prayer. We learned all these kinds of things. It's not that we don't know we should pray oftentimes, that we know we're supposed to, and maybe you feel guilty about it because you're not praying like you should. Well, let's forget all of that this morning, and let me just say, there's also one other thing, though, that keeps us from, air, from prayer, and it's a misunderstanding about what prayer is all about. It's a misunderstanding about what, what prayer is supposed to be doing uh, in this world and in our lives. 
And so I'm going to paint with some really big brush this morning, uh, so forgive me. We're going to be in a lot of different passages of Scripture today, uh, but uh, sometimes we have a misunderstanding uh, about attention in, in the Scriptures, and I want to walk us through that this morning. So, so hold on. We're going to be going through a lot of different places this morning in the Scriptures, uh, so uh, let's get to it. We, get, we don't have a lot of time. Proverbs 16.9 says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his step. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. What does that mean? We're not in control. Control is, as we were talking about in Sunday school this morning, control is an illusion. If you think you have control, if you think everything's right in your life, there's sometimes that those things that come crashing down in your life that you think, oh, everything's out of control. Can I tell you what I think? I think that's when the veil of, your, of our self-deception has been removed and we begin to see what the world is really like. You know what I mean? It's not that we, the world is always in control. Of course, God is always in control of it. But it's not that the world is always in control. It's that we have this perception that, oh, everything's great until something goes wrong. Can I tell you, things are not always great and things are not always good. Things are always, there's always trouble. In this world, there's always sickness and there's always death. And there's not one of us who won't be touched uh, by tragedy uh, in our lives, in our family, in our, our own health. Every one of us. And I tell you, the world's out of control. Uh, except for the one who holds all things together and sustains them. All right, let's continue. Psalm 115, verse 3, it says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. Something pleases God, what does He do? He accomplishes it, right? There is no plan of His that can be thwarted. Everything that He determines and is pleased to do, everything according to His will, He will bring about. We have a theological word for that. You know what it is? Sovereign. He is sovereign. He is control. He is in control overall. In Isaiah chapter 46, verses 10 and 11, he says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Let's talk about a really specific uh, passage of Scripture, a uh, really specific event in the history of Israel where the Israelites were allowed to return back to, uh, to Judah, but that's for another time. My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, it says, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for a man to direct his steps. God reigns over all. He is sovereign. He does whatever he pleases. Right? Is that not what we just read? Is the scripture true? Yes, it is. It is true. So here's my question for you. Why do we pray if God has already determined the outcome of my life, of your life, of situations going on in the world? Why then do we pray? If God is sovereign and what he's done and what pleases him, he will bring about, then what does it matter what you and I have to say about it, you know? Uh, it, it's like us as ants going to God and say, oh, wait, no, we think you should run the universe this way, right? Isn't that what it seems like? When you and I focus on verses like this and we exclude, and there are people who exclude other verses from the scriptures, we focus on the sovereignty of God and we say, what purpose is it of ours to be involved? What purpose is it to pray if God's going to do whatever he determines and whatever he desires? What does it matter what I do? What does it matter what I pray? But here's the tension in the scriptures. 
is that God is sovereign. Those verses that we read are true. God is so sovereign over all. He is, absolutely. Uh, and, but also in the Bible, people ask God, pe- God's people ask him for things, and he listens, and he moves, and he does what they ask. That's a tension in the Bible. You see, you have some people who talk about free will and some people who talk about sovereignty and the people who talk about sovereignty say, oh, no, 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 it's all this. It's always this. It's always God's sovereign. And on the other people say, oh, no, no, well, there's this verse and it talks about, you know, if you'll pray, if you'll do this, you'll do, then God will do this. And so it must be all about free will. Can I tell you, these two things are intention of the Scripture and you can't focus on one part of the Scripture and ignore the other part. You'll be imbalanced and you'll misunderstand God, yeah? All right, so let's continue. Would you turn with me? This is where I want you to really turn in your Bible. Exodus chapter 32, please. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 9 and 10. This is, one, this is I think, probably the clearest um, scripture uh, in all the Bible that talks about a people, a man coming to pray before God, and God seemingly looking like he has changed his mind based on a prayer. Yeah, good stuff. All right, let's read it. Uh, Psalm chapter 32, I'm sorry, Psalm, Exodus chapter 32. We're going to be in verse 9, start in verse 9. We're going to start in verse 9. Let me tell you what's just happened. Moses has been up on the hill and he's come back down and what does he find his people have done in the first part of chapter 32? They've fallen into idolatry. They built a golden calf and say, this will be our God. You know, you look at that sometimes you think, man, those guys were just morons. But... um, we, we make idols, we just don't make them to look like calves and make them out of gold. True. All right. Uh, Exodus chapter 32, verse 9, it says this. So, so here's God's response to their idolatry. All right, ready? Exodus 32, verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. I love something that uh, Matt Chandler says at this point. They are a stiff-necked people. Church people were way different back then than they are today. That's funny, isn't it? Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make you into a great nation. All right, the Lord's talking to Moses here and he says, leave me alone, I've seen their idolatry and I'm going to kill them all and I'm going to come back and all the promises that I've made to Israel, I'm going to carry out in you, I'm going to make a family of nations out of you, but they're all going to be destroyed for their sin. Got the setup? Okay. What's the Lord's plan right here? Kill them all, start over with Moses, right? It's pretty simple. It's the two-step process to building the nation that he wants. He's going to kill them all and start over with Moses, all right? Verse 11, but Moses, listen to this, I love this, sought the favor of the Lord his God. Don't you love that? Sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I, I will give your descendants all this land, I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. So what's Moses stand back and he says, but Lord, wait, remember what? Remember your promises. Remember you promised to make them a great nation. Remember 
remember you promised that you would give their descendants this land. And he says also, why should the Egyptians say of you that you brought them out here into the mountains and of slavery just to kill them and to wipe them out? Yeah. What's he saying? He says, Lord, this is not consistent with the mercy that you've shown these people before. And I want to ask you to show the mercy again is essentially what he's saying. True. I want to ask you to show your mercy again. And what does it say in verse 14? Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Okay, so in the beginning of the verse, God says, I'm going to destroy them all, and I'm starting over with Moses. And at the end of Moses' prayer, he relents and he shows mercy. Can I tell you why this happened? It's not just that Moses prayed. It's not just that Moses prayed. God is carrying out, God is doing something bigger than what we can see here because he had told us through Moses in in Deuteronomy that God would raise a prophet like Moses and that his people should listen to him. You see, this is the first time, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. This is a time in the scripture that we see God taking a guilty people and he has mercy on them and doesn't destroy them for their sin. And he does it by the prayer of Moses. All right, let me, let me try this one more time. We have a word, a theological word for this, right? We talked about expiation a while ago, which means the removal of sin. Now we're going to talk about another word called propitiation, which means a turning aside of God's wrath. Moses was an instrument of propitiation for the guilty people. He steps between them and God, and he says to them, No, God, have mercy. And instead of dealing with them in wrath and justice, he puts that aside and says, I will deal with them in mercy for now. See, because one day God would bring a greater and bigger prophet, greater and bigger than Moses, who would take away the wrath of God, would propitiate on behalf of his people, and he would turn away the wrath of God and take it all upon himself. But through, and of course we know that person is who, it is Jesus Christ. He is the one who's turned away the wrath of God on behalf of guilty people like you and me, and all the wrath of God was poured out on him and instead of us, right? And that is why God answered this prayer, because, listen to me, because this was the plan and the purpose of God was to use this example to say, I'm going to raise up a prophet and he will be greater than Moses and he will take my wrath away and he will be like Moses. We call this in, in, in theology, this is typology. He is a type of, Moses is a type of or a foreshadowing of what would become even greater and even bigger and even better in Jesus Christ who would take away the wrath of God on our behalf. But you see, The part that Moses played here is this, is that he stepped in and he prayed according to God's purpose and his plan, and God moved and he acted. Now, let me, before we get too far away from this, let me ask, would God have been dealing in justice if he had wiped out his people like he said he was going to? They deserved it. So did we. Right? God deserve, they deserve it, so do we. It's not like God is, is, is confused. It's like, oh, I can't decide what to do with these people. Should I kill them or should I have mercy? And he was waiting for Moses to come along and say, I think you should show them mercy. Okay, it's not like that at all. Let me tell you, God had determined that he would show mercy because he would show mercy to a greater degree, to the nth degree through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on our behalf, who paid the price for our sin and has absorbed the wrath of God, was all poured upon him. He was the bigger and the greater and the mightier Moses. Yeah? 
And that is why God answered his prayer. Let me boil it down. Why did God answer Moses' prayer? Because this was his purpose. He wanted to show, he wanted to foreshadow, he wanted to tell us, be looking for a greater propitiation. Be looking for a greater one to turn aside my wrath. Be looking for him because he's coming and he's announcing all throughout the Old Testament over and over and over again by Moses, by David, by the prophets, by, uh, by, by the, the sacrifice of Isaac, uh, you know, uh, by all of those. He's telling them over and over and over again, be looking for a bigger and better Moses. Be looking for a bigger and greater David. And, and who is that? It is his son, Jesus Christ, through whom he has shown us mercy. Amen. Okay. Um, that's the tension right there. This is the tension right here. God could have poured out his, his justice on those people or his mercy. And in either case, he'd have been right, correct? But the tension is this, is because Moses stepped in, he prayed according to what God's mercy, what he had learned about the Lord's mercy and his favor, what he'd known about him before, and he prayed according to God's character, and he said, Lord God, show them mercy. Yeah? That's the tension right there. So, so that's the question for us this morning. Is God sovereign over all, or can he be moved by our prayers? And the answer is yes. He is sovereign overall, and he can be moved by our prayers. How can those two things be? That's why it's called the tension, right? It's spelled out here just gloriously in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, uh, yeah, just amazing stuff. Um, let, let me go through another things that talk about God's sovereignty uh, in salvation. In John chapter 6, verse 65 Jesus was speaking, and he said, he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. How do people come to Jesus Christ? They see the error of their ways, and in all of their wisdom, they turn to, no, that's not what it says. It says, no one can come to, 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 to me unless the Father has enabled them. Right? You with me? Are you with me? What part did you play in your salvation? You were enabled by God. We could read from Ephesians chapter 1. Matter of fact, do I have that? No, I don't. That's cool. Uh, we could read from Ephesians chapter 1. It says, even this mystery of God's salvation was made known to us by God. We were, we were the passive element. We were the ones who, who had it revealed to us, right? So, uh, so, uh, it, so if it's true, if that's true, who enables us to come to Jesus Christ? Well, God does. He, he enables us. He helps us to come to Jesus Christ. Um, so if that's true, then why do we preach? Why do you share your faith? If it's God that enables people to come to Jesus Christ, then what point is it for you to preach and teach? What is the point in preaching and teaching and sharing your faith? It's this. Uh, let me read it because uh, Jason's going to put it up here. It's because God's appointed me for achieving his appointed purpose is the preaching and teaching and proclamation of his word. God has determined that he would use you and me as instruments to spread his gospel and to save people's lives and souls for all of eternity through your sharing your faith and through preaching and teaching of his word. He's determined that that's how he's going to do it. The, so here's the deal. 
He is absolutely sovereign, and it is him who opens up and shares and say, you know, you and I have, have shared the gospel with people that we were just absolutely sure that the Spirit is in and it was going to happen and they were going to come to know Jesus Christ and they turn away and they say, I'm not ready. Why aren't they ready? Because the Lord has not yet enabled them. doesn't mean that we shouldn't stop doing the work, right? Uh, but there, there's other times that we come alongside someone and we share our faith with them and we think, there is no way they're going to be ready to hear this. They're, you know, they're going to yell at me and they're going to run away and they're not going to have anything to do with me anymore. And then what happens is that sometimes when you share your faith, sometimes the Lord's prepared them. Sometimes they're ready and unbeknownst to us, the Lord has enabled them to come to him. And we're there and we get to reap the harvest. So, so here you go. Let me big picture this one more time. So here's the deal. God has ordained. God has determined, the author of salvation has determined that he would bring about salvation in other people's lives through people like you and like me. Unbelievable, isn't it? He could do it all, but he's determined to use us. Can I tell you the same is true of prayer? Prayer is the means by which the purposes of God are carried out. Okay? All right, so let me back up. You know, I've shared with you a little bit about I, I have a heart for the people of North Korea. Uh, um, and, I, you know, this is it's almost funny to me. I don't know. Okay, never mind. I'll, I'll t uh, say that for another time. Um, the people in, in North Korea are sheltered from the gospel, and they are oppressed by a government who extracts money to, from them to spend on a military to keep their leader in power. I look at this situation, and I say, this is, Lord, this is not what you would desire for the people of North Korea. And so, what do I do? I pray, Lord God, you bring down that government and you put in place something there that will allow your people in, in North Korea, the people that you desire to save and call to you and bring to you, and you bring the gospel to the people of North Korea. Now, listen. You know, I'm a, you know, I'm a two-bit pastor at a small church in Canyon, Texas. What place do I have praying like that? God accomplishes his purpose by our prayers. He, see, he has limited himself. He could do anything he wants. Uh, Kim Jong-il, gone today, dead from a heart attack. It could happen just like that. He could just make it happen, right? He could just do it. But he has limited himself. And he has said, I will answer the prayers of my people according to my purpose. And according to my plan, I will answer their prayers and I will carry out my purpose and my plan through their prayers. Okay. Do you, you got it? Do you have the big picture? Listen, I know. You, I know when you know. When we go to prayer, sometimes it is, maybe many times, maybe too often, it is 90 miles an hour. It is, God, I need your help with my kids. I need your help with my finances. I need you to help save my marriage. I need, you know, I've got you know, sick people in my family and all this stuff. Do you see the difference? Do you see what's happened? Is that we've all of a sudden, we've made God this from, from something that he desires to do on maybe a global scale, and we've reduced it down to something very small. Now, listen, I am not saying that what you're praying for is not uh, significant. It is. And he wants to hear those prayers. In fact, Jesus said, your father already knows what you need before you ask it. But when you pray, ask for daily bread, right? 
I'm not saying that he doesn't. He, he wants you to pray for that. He wants you to depend on him for those kinds of things. He does. But don't stop there. You need to pray. We need to pray in accordance with his will, in accordance with his plan. Because what if he's waiting for his people to pray according to his plan and his purpose? Let me share another couple of verses and we'll be done for the day. But um, in Luke chapter 11, verses, verse 9, it says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. For everyone who seeks, I'm sorry, everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who, though you are evil, know how to good give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God gives to people who ask. It's just truth. It's just the truth that Jesus taught. God gives to people who ask. All right. In another place, Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, it says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have, the fa- if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, you remember what he did to the fig tree, but also you can do to say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. God answers the people who pray in faith. In faith. Dear Lord, this is what you want. This is what you desire and I believe that you will carry it out. Yeah. In John chapter 15, he said this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. I tell you, the Lord answers prayers when we abide with him. Yeah, when we abide with him. Are you seeing the little picture and the big picture here at the same time? Let me see. Let me, let me, let me do this with you. He answers prayers when we're abiding with him. Why is that? Because when we're abiding with him, we know what he wants and we're praying for it. He answers prayers of faith. Why? Not so that we can just muster and, oh, I hope I have enough faith this time to get what I want. No, 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 no. I, I, you need to be, we need to be in the faith. We need to be uh, in prayer and, and, and believing and knowing that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And in faith, we can pray for God to do incredible and miraculous things. And he desires to do it that way. I don't know why. Why does he include us? I don't know. It's only by his grace and mercy. Why doesn't he just go and do and accomplish everything he wants? Because, my goodness, it would all be done right. You know what I mean? There would be no, you know, we're so messy. We people, you know, we, we ask with wrong motives too many times. We forget to ask for the important stuff so many times. Why doesn't he just go and accomplish all that he desires? I don't know. He just desires to do it through us. But isn't that God? Think about every single time he acted and moved in the Old Testament. He did it through very, very... Uh, what's the word? Inconspicuous means? Yeah. He loves to do stuff like that. I don't know. It's his character. Uh, maybe because then he can say, absolutely, I was the one who did it. The Lord answers prayers made in Jesus' name. In John 14, as Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, he says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Look what he says in verse 14. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Does that mean at the, at the end of every prayer, if we don't say in Jesus' name, we're not going to get it? No. To ask in Jesus' me, name, to ask in a name, uh, someone's name represented all that they were in, in, the, in biblical times, everything that they represented. So to a prayer in Jesus' name would be a prayer in, in line with everything that Jesus was about. And when you pray like that, he says, ask whatever you want. Wow, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? All right. 
let, so um, let me give you one. Let, let me give you the big picture one more time. He he answers prayers of faith. He answers our prayers when we're abiding with him. He answers our prayers when we pray according to his name and his plan and his purpose. He answers our prayers. Um, here's the big picture. It's really an amazing thing. But God comes in, came into my life, and he's come into your life. And he begins to change my heart, and he begins to change my mind, and, and he begins to reprioritize my life. And the things that I used to think were important, I don't think are important now. And the things that I, I didn't think were important, those things have become important to me now. Are you with me? You see, be, because as, I, as I'm discipled and as I'm sanctified by walking with Jesus Christ, as I'm abiding with him and I'm walking with him in faith, he begins to change my mind. And as my mind changes, so does my prayer, and I begin to see what's important. It's his plan and his purpose and everything that he desires to accomplish, and I begin to pray according to what he would want me to pray anyway. You see it? He loves to answer the prayers of his sons and his daughters because those are the ones that he's redeemed, and he wants to continue his redemption. Yeah? Are you following me? Have I gone too far? Are you following me? He desires to accomplish his purpose through your prayers. It's an amazing thing. One more passage, James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but, and, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James is combating something that um, is very prevalent in our culture. Can I use the words prosperity gospel? Um, he says, yeah, he says, you, you, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God. And you don't get what you want because what you want is just for yourself. And it is so small and so tiny and so self-centered of you that God's not going to give it to you. Right? But he says before that, and you don't have because you don't ask. All right, so let me back up, and I just want to focus on that part of the verse because it's important for the conclusion of our sermon today. You ready? Are you asking? Are you praying big enough? I know we need to be praying for our daily bread. We need to be praying for our needs, and we need to be asking God to meet the needs that we have financially, with our marriage, with our children, whatever. We need to be praying for those things, but don't stop there. God desires to accomplish his purpose by the prayers of his people. He's limited himself, and he said, I will wait until they ask for it. And when they ask for it, I'll move. What if God is waiting for you to ask for his spirit's power in your life to share your faith or to be empowered by his Holy Spirit to overcome sin in your life or just simply to be used by him? Are you asking for his spirit? He said we should. What if God's waiting for you to ask for salvation for your neighbor or your classmate? He said, I'm waiting. I'm waiting until they pray. When I pray, I'm going to move. I'm going to enable them. I'm going to change their heart, and they're going to be receptive to the gospel. What if God is waiting for his children to ask for revival in our country? What if he's waiting to ask for his children to ask for revival in places like China or like North Korea? What if he's waiting for us to pray like that? I pray, my prayer for us is that we will be absolutely captivated by God's activity and his plan and his purpose on this earth. Yeah, that we might pray in accordance with his will. 
that he might do incredible and amazing things just because he loves to do it. He loves to answer his, his children's prayer when they ask. Are you praying big enough? Are you asking for something significant enough? And that's how we'll close. Heavenly Father, um, we know your plans and your, and your purpose, and we pray, Lord, this morning that, uh, Lord, everything that you desire to carry out, your redemption, your salvation, uh, the, the salvation of our neighbor, of our classmate, Lord God, I pray that you would make us, help us to remember to be in prayer for those things, and, and not just once or twice, but you also tell us to pray, to pray fervently, to pray over and again, Lord, if we need to, not, not babbling or anything, but just to be seeking and constantly uh, uh, after you and, and pursuing you and asking for the things uh, according to Jesus' name, according to your plan and your purpose. Father, I pray, make us a praying people. Make us a people who are communing with you through prayer, communicating through, with you through prayer and, and, and in your word and knowing, Lord God, what you're about, listening to the, to the guidance of your Holy Spirit, Lord, every day I pray. Make us like that. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your greatness. We thank you, Lord, that somehow you desire, uh, even though we're very small people, you desire to use us in very big ways. So, Father, uh, open our eyes. Let us see, Lord, all that you desire to do. And, Lord, help us to be in prayer about it, that you might accomplish all that you desire and all that you will. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, thank you. I'm sorry I held you a little long this week, but it's important stuff. Y'all have a great week. You pray big this week. You pray that according to your faith, according to what Jesus would desire for you to do, and let's see what the Lord will do on our behalf. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here.